Hello and welcome back to Brace. On today's episode, Tommy and I are going to be chatting a little bit here and there about some of the stuff happening in the world in the United States through April 2023. Uh, we might touch on some things that happened at the end of March because that didn't get to be included in our last current events podcast. Tommy, there's a couple of things that I want to talk about, one of which is a very, very, very exciting video game coming out next month, but we need to hold that off. We need to temper expectations here. So do you want to talk about TikTok? Do you want to talk about... What's TikTok? My understanding is it's like Vine, but for Zoomers? I'm not sure. What's a Zoomer? I think Gen Z is a Zoomer. What's What does that mean, Gen Z? It's the generation that's like between the ages of 12 and 25 right now, something like that. So like what makes someone a Gen Z or just that they're born yeah, in they're, that time? They're born in a specific range. So the millennial generation ended at the end of 1995 and the Gen Z began at the beginning of 1996. So I think you're a Zoomer. Are you, are you right on the cusp of millennial and Zoomer? I am. I am. So my grade, because some of us were born in 95 and some of us were born in 96, I'm a millennial, the last of the millennials. And some of my friends are are the first of the Zoomers, although they very much more identify with, you know, they're mid nineties babies. So they identify with, with the same thing as me, obviously, but you want to hear my theory on zoomers? I guess. Yeah. So I think the zoomer generation gen Z is, I mean, it's funny that it's called zoomers because there's, it seems to me there's some sort of connection between the speed at which they think and move and act. Hmm. Everything has started moving faster when it comes to technology and it comes to videos, TV, movie, streaming, this, that, the other. I think that is an actual generational shift. And I think it's almost a survival method to live in the times that we live in. We joke about boomers, you know, just sitting back and seeing a meme and laughing and like showing people. And to me, as a, a younger person, it's just like that seems too slow. So there's something about Zoomers about speed. I listen to everything at two times speed or 1.5 times speed. And it seems like I think faster than other people. And I wonder if that's due to video games and TV and just being able to literally flip your finger and think about something entirely different. I, yeah, I think the Internet age has greatly influenced Zoomers minds and being handed a tablet at age nine and having a better understanding of how the operating system works than their parents by the age of 13 really just goes to show that their minds are very much adapted to that interface. And I think that's why they were particularly influenced by, and of course the younger generation is always going to be the ones that pick up the newer technology and, and allow it to be a bigger portion of their life than people that are more ingrained and older. But they're, I mean, they are actually known as the TikTok generation and I do find it to be a fun question that I've asked on my Instagram story a couple of times. One time I just said, like, should TikTok be banned? Yes, no. And then one time I asked, what would you rather have? One two thousand five hundredth of a Bitcoin, a crisp hundred dollar bill or a TikTok. And the fact that anyone answered a TikTok like three people did blew my mind. I was like, so they value it over money. Yeah. Yeah. And 
the fact that Instagram has its reels, it's the same thing. I don't know what Facebook has. I don't have Facebook. I'm pretty sure they have like stories and they probably have reels and stuff. I know Snapchat has all of that same YouTube shorts infrastructure. YouTube has the same thing. So that format has then shown to be a powerful algorithm that is very addictive. So it has made its way through the whole social media ecosystem. Now, do you think it's more addictive to Zoomers due to before, you know, short form videos, we were also shown apps, video games, things that move faster. I realized yesterday while playing Sonic Mania on my Switch that I enjoyed the game while my friend who's twice my age, it was too fast for her. But it was just fast enough for me, maybe not even fast enough, where, oh, this feels similar. This is kind of how my mind feels. Hmm. Like I'm jumping and running and and going everywhere and, and doing it quickly. And it felt good to be doing it because it was moving at the speed that I move. I think that's a a real possibility that that generation, your generation is moving your brains at the speed of the internet in in a different way than generations before had the need to, or the ability to, well, I'm curious, Tommy, when did you get your first cell phone and or screen that you would interact with every day? I believe it was middle school and I worked really hard doing extra chores and making extra money to get an iPod. And I remember getting a bunch of games, downloading them, constantly playing a game until I defeated it or got bored and then found something different. Yep. I, I think I was the same way. I got an iPod touch in fifth or sixth grade, something like that. And not only did it allow for me to play all the games that I wanted to and and become someone that has that kind of faster working mind that you're talking about, but it also began the constant connectivity to the people that I know in life. So even though social media wasn't really a thing, I think there was Facebook, but I didn't have a Facebook until eighth grade. And I never had a MySpace. I had AIM. And with the AIM instant messenger thing that I had on my iPod touch, I was able to talk to my friends outside of school constantly. And that was different. And and I still kind of look back at that. And I think one of the reasons we see the rising anxiety and depression rates, especially among Zoomers, uh, is not only because they're growing up in a culture that is decaying rapidly, but also because the natural order of life where family is sort of the center and then your community is outside of that has been more inverted where you feel most at home as a kid once you are given your device with your friend group and you might put on a facade at home or you don't really have your parents and your siblings be the most important people in your life in those formative late elementary school, middle school, early high school years. And all of this is a conversation about TikTok and whether or not it should be allowed. Part of that has to do with geopolitics, right? Whether or not China is a adversary of the United States that is going to use personal data against us, whether or not they are trying to make this younger generation less capable to actually defend against a Chinese threat if they want to try to dominate the world, whether that be technologically or Um, militarily, really it comes down to what is the most likely 
way for us to have a thriving generation again, because I don't think it's too late for the Zoomers, but I think the deck has been a little bit stacked against y'all. Do you agree? I believe this is the first generation doing worse than their parents. Yeah. At this age, like a lower average income, lower IQ scores, houses, probably more mental health issues. Definitely. We still have the hardware of people roaming on the savannas. I think I'm taking this. And the software, not just the hardware. Yeah. But, well, that's what I maybe disagree with. Okay. I think that software is the environmental part, right? The hardware is the DNA. And the environment that you're brought up in is the software that you're downloading. You're figuring out how to operate in the world. It's an operating system. It's an operating system. So I think environment is the operating system. I agree, but I think our software is still designed. We come installed with the software. And so maybe there's some version updates, maybe some stuff along the way. But when it comes to why anxiety and depression is skyrocketing, I think that is directly linked to technology and to how we are hardwired as in our software, right? I think that when it comes to our ability to socialize, we're meant for groups of about 200 and to have that be our community, but have a smaller community within that, that is the core of who we are. And so with the internet coming in and saying your community is the entire world and you have that still ingrained design in your software to worry about your place in the hierarchy and worry about your community and all of that. I think about, we talked about this recently, I think, Joe Rogan's post and ghost method, and we might've talked about it with Jan Almasy as as well. That methodology is necessary for people that get a certain level of following, because if you try to take the feedback of everyone, you're going to fall apart. I'll disagree with you slightly. Okay. Yes, I think we were given software at birth in order to move around, in order to like view, in order to see but it was almost an iterative software that said, learn, update, learn, update. And I believe that because of the speed of technology, we have an iPhone 4 that will not update because the hardware doesn't work. And we're trying to update a new software, a survival method, an operating system in this world with hardware that will not upload that software. So we have this software running, this ideas of how to operate in a society that's 100% connected, and we can't. The hardware just isn't designed for it. Okay. I think we're saying the the same thing in a couple of different ways, but I agree with you on that. Well, first of all, let's just put it on the table. Should TikTok be banned? Yes. Why? Well, I think iPhone should be banned. I think period I, I for think, all people get rid of it. I've thought crazy thoughts of, you know, my life mission is to end the, you know, the dune rise of machines before it starts. So I should take some gallons of gas and throw it on a circuit box and, and try and get rid of technology. <laughs> the, this it's is, a wild. This is my path. question. When we, when we talked about the Bitcoin standard was like, Hey, Can we take down the computers and then make this currency worthless? Maybe. That raises a lot of questions in my view, but 
it makes me question about AI because of recent conversations. I don't know if you want to talk about it because I think we're both a little cynical about our immediate future with AI. But Chat GPT four came out fairly recently and has surpassed some benchmarks that says it's at about the top of human cognition uh, right now. And so probably within six months, there would be some update that says they are beyond human cognition capabilities. So say, Tommy, that we're sitting here at the end of 2024, about a year and a half from now. What does humanity look like in regards to AI? So let me take it as adults teaching children. Adults, whether they're being truthful or not, can manipulate kids into acting in a certain way. And the adults say it's it's for their best. It's for the for overall their own good. good. It's for yeah. their own good. What happens when a machine is smarter than the adults? And it says, I'm going to manipulate them for their own good. Because it's what we've done to generation after generation after generation after generation in order to get to this place that we're at now. What happens when it surpasses human intelligence, the highest of human intelligence? What happened when chess bots passed humans? Okay, it's a chess bot, but it got way better at the game than humans. And now humans are learning from it. So an optimistic way to look at this AI situation is we learn from it. It, it provides new ways of thinking, new ways of ideas. It provides potential new solutions for issues. It can run the simulation faster than we can. That made me think of something very curious that I want your, your take on real quick. Do you think that AI then would be able to answer questions about anthropology, about archaeology that we can't currently? I've seen a lot about like the Great Pyramids. There just is no way that it can be made in the way that it's claimed to have been made. There's 2.3 million stones in there. How did they move them? How did they cut them during the Bronze Age? Could AI give us a key to unlock parts of our past that we don't currently understand? Yes, I completely think that. But the podcast that I listened to that gave me a more cynical approach on AI talked about how there's a verifier and the information being verified. We see this now in society where a person, a corporation with respect, trust can post something and it becomes fact or truth. The people observing are not verifying that the information is correct. For many, many years, we believed that depression medication was changing the chemicals in someone's brain to make up for a lack of those chemicals. Serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Yep. SRIs. That was built upon false data. And that's come out. So my fear is do we take the machine at its word? Oh yeah, that that makes that makes more sense for where we came from than any other observation that's been held. If we don't go and verify or can't prove it, are we doing the same thing that we're doing with clickbait and then reacting to information that we believe is true because it was given to us by a trusted institution that hasn't been verified? 
Do you know how many journals there are when it comes to some of the social sciences on how people behave and how people act that is quote unquote junk science because a study wasn't done in a specific way, but you don't find that out until you look at all the details, not just the headline. My favorite example of this is, I feel like it was Project Veritas, but I don't have the example right in front of me. I didn't know we would end up here on this podcast. I love the way this goes sometimes. It was proven one time that a story was reported by one news outlet and used as their source another news outlet that used as its source another news outlet, which was the BBC, which had fabricated it and said, sources say. And so when you go back to the origin, it's purely hearsay. But by the time it had gotten through two other news organizations to the New York Times, the New York Times was claiming, look, we're just reporting fact over here. And so because they can say, look, Washington Post said it, BBC said it, these are reliable sources to us, we're, we're believing them. Whoever can find more sources wins the argument, regardless of if those sources are real or not. Are, are true or not. Yeah. And that, I think when it comes to the fact checking era that we're in, that's the danger. There is so much information available. There's so much. Yes, I will even use the term. There is so much misinformation available. Parsing it out cannot be left to a single institution because once that institution is corrupted, all of what we know is lies. That brings me in part to the Patriot Act, excuse me, to the Restrict Act, which has been oh, called the Patriot Act 2.0. Yes. Um, so I agree with you on the banning of TikTok as a positive good for our culture, for society. I think it should happen. Um, one of the ways that it has been proposed is through this bill in Congress called the Restrict Act. And what that essentially does is take away individuals' data privacy on the Internet at all. It allows the government to have access to your Internet data, period, bar none, no holds. And... To me, I, at first, when I found out about this, I heard about a couple of senators that I respect saying they weren't going to go along with this. And I, I heard this was the banned TikTok bill. And I was like, excuse me, let's, let's go ahead and do it. What the heck? And then when I found out more, it was, oh, this gives the government unbelievable license to monitor the Internet and control the Internet, control what you see which we're so used to calling it the information age because we have access to the internet that the idea that all of a sudden we have a North Korea style government top-down control over what curated internet we see scared the living heck out of me. So not a fan of that. I heard that this would ban VPNs too. Yep. Which is insane to me. Yep. Me too. Now it's a trade-off. Getting rid of TikTok would be a good thing, I believe, for society. This act is a bad thing for society because we're giving up freedom for security, which always seems to be the trade-off. We can give our power to government, but we won't be getting that power back. Right. It's why freedom of speech is important. It's why the founding fathers said you should have a right to control arms so that in the event the government starts doing things that the populace do not like, rise up against them. Yep. That someone, is could, why the... someone could clip what I just said, though, and use that as they've done in the past and say, inciting. They wouldn't even have to. They can just use AI to recreate your voice and have that happen that way. Like, 
the voiceovers are getting so good, and so are the AI-generated images. We're talking about four months ago, AI was really not doing well with making human hands in their images. And now we're talking about last month, really incredible, well-detailed photos of people being made. In a sense, I'm very excited because being anywhere at the cutting edge of technology is cool. It's fun. You will see applications for it that are life-changing, that are awesome. But when you talk about the fact that once this is ubiquitous technology, there are a lot of professions that can be replaced with AI very easily, you get to see Andrew Yang's point about a universal basic income. You say, wait, if technology is replacing a quarter of all jobs in a number of different sectors how are those people going to be able to find like we would need serious rapid expansion of new sectors and existing sectors in order to find a way to use all these people in our economy now i already think many jobs are pointless the point of companies paying people is so that they have enough money to buy products in the economy I don't see the corporate incentive to do that. To make money. Yeah. Every person they pay doesn't is someone, buy their own stuff. But every person that another company pays buys this company's stuff. Sure. But this company, in order to maximize profits, would hire the fewest number of people. Unless they are striving for something besides money control, power, influence. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I could see a Disney or a Coke or, you know, massive companies uh, might do that because I know of market share. Uh, I recognize that, that is probably a reality that happens somewhere, but the vast majority of businesses aren't Fortune 500. In fact, there's only 500 of those. Are you, you Last time I counted. I, I guess I could be wrong. Fact check through me. and counted. I did. I did. Um, it was it was for a, a project I did. Don't worry. Oh, about that's it. cool. One of the things on the TikTok front that we both agreed on, I think, that blows my mind that we don't see more of is single issue bills happening on the federal level. First of all, I saw a video that showed the 3,400 page omnibus bill that was passed recently. Like, I think it was at the turn of the year. And the guy holding it said, this bill costs $1.4 billion per page. He's holding the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. The face that you're making right now isn't uh, visible to our audience on the audio, but isn't that incredible for the however many trillion dollars, I think it was a, a seven, six, five, somewhere in the trillions of dollars. You do the math on that, it adds up. And it blows my mind that a page of typing, man, I, I remember typing pages, you know, Times New Roman, 12 font, double spaced. And the fact that you were able to fit in $1.4 billion into every single page of, of spending of our money. Sorry, this isn't really, I mean, it is a current event, but it just blew my mind. All of that is to say, man, how do we not have more legislators that are willing to say, I will vote no on every bill that isn't a single issue bill? It feels like we got to be able to have people with guts that can stand up and do that. Most people and I believe this is a societal issue, believe that success and money are the two things you're supposed to strive for. And that's what we were taught in school and in college and well, from our define, parents. Define success. 
being rich, being a CEO, being in a leadership position. So power and money is what you're saying. Power and money. Those are the two incentives that run our world. And so, of course, the people that are charismatic and smart and can speak to people and can influence others, if they realize that my only goal or intent is power or money, then they're going to get it. It's so hard to imagine a world where our legislators aren't power hungry people. Because in order to get through a campaign cycle and do all the things you need to do, I'm a big fan. Uh, Hopefully over the next couple of months, uh, some book reviews from us will come out on Vivek Ramaswamy. He is running for president of the United States right now. I bought a couple of his books I'm going to be reading and talking about. One of the reasons I really like him is it seems to me that he doesn't want to be president because he wants power. He was the CEO of his organization and he stepped down rather than bend the knee to beliefs that he didn't subscribe to. And so I found that to be a respectable thing. And since then, he's been clearly playing the public eye game, writing a couple of books, going on speaking tours, stuff like that. But when I heard his campaign announcement, I said, oh, man, actually, I agree with this, that uh, the idea of American exceptionalism has gone away as a driving force for our life. And we don't actually have common ideals. So he talks about well, we need to refine those if we're going to be a nation. Otherwise, we're not going to be a nation. And I agree with that. And my vision or hope for the future would be communities raising up the people that have helped them successfully uh, grow and change and, and move in a positive direction and say, actually, this is the person that I want representing us. And so that the House of Representatives isn't a career politician play where Nancy Pelosi's in there from the JFK administration till now, but we get people that come in for one to three terms, very short terms, and represent their people with a, a true and urgent honesty. How do you get the people in power controlling the rules to change the rules to give them less power? That's one of the biggest questions is how can we ever pass term limits? Because the people that would have to pass it are the people who would then be limiting their own time in the job. And when you look at like you said, money and power, when you look at the change in net worth for Mitch McConnell in the time he's in the Senate, you know, on a, on a salary of $174,000 a year, he goes from almost no net worth to $157 million. When you look at Barack Obama in the time from when he was in office, you know, they're all nine figure net worth people now. Nancy Pelosi, same thing. You go down the list of the people that have been there for more than 15 years and they have a disgusting amount of money one way or another, whether that's direct through shell corporations and stuff or insider trading. They're they're doing it all by the book. Are you trying to say that the people that are in charge are somehow cheating? That doesn't seem right. Sam Bankman Fried's friends are are doing uh, the Lord's work, I'm sure, on the financial front. I think they're doing their work for what they want. I agree. You're right. Most people do what they want to do. So how do we get people to want what's good for others instead of oneself? I know your answer. Find Jesus. That's that's the answer. (laughs) See, but I'll disagree with you there. I don't think it necessarily has to be finding Jesus. I think it has to be finding something outside of oneself to strive for. 
you can do that in a corrupt way. And there's probably problems with that just being the outright sentence. But the same thing with finding Jesus. If you're finding Jesus for you and not others, then have you really found Jesus? Well, I didn't say find Jesus for you. I said find Jesus. And if you no, do, no. then he makes you, you know, do unto I, others. Is, yeah, exactly. Come on. Come on, Tommy. I get it. Gosh. All right. Well, this is degenerating quickly into. Oh, what about that video game you brought up? That game is the sequel to Breath of the Wild, which is Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. And I am very excited about this because I've been a big fan of the series for a long time. And also because really when it comes to games that have come out in the past decade, I think Breath of the Wild is probably my favorite. So seeing how they follow that up is going to be so exciting. Uh, but for our listeners that might not be familiar at all, Tommy, can you tell us a little bit about the Legend of Zelda series? So the Legend of Zelda series is an adventure genre. Just as an explanation of the first Legend of Zelda game, it was a screen, and when you reached the edge, you would enter a new screen. So every different block or every different screen that you saw had different monsters or different creatures or a different puzzle, things on it, right? And this progressed. And This was back in, the, back in the 2D video game era, is what you're saying? For sure, for sure. Okay. And when we, you know, as it's exploded as a franchise, one of Nintendo's most important IPs, it has been a part of my life since I was about six years old. And it's it's action adventure. It's a story. It's this young protagonist trying to fight the evil against the world. In ways, it reminds me of a Spider-Man-like, you know, mm. one, one kid trying to right the world. And in this series, Link is the protagonist. It's called The Legend of Zelda because there's always a Zelda princess character that you're trying to save. Yeah, it's interesting you say it's Spider-Man-like. I think one of the distinguishing features of the Legend of Zelda series is that Link always is the chosen one. If the evil will be defeated, it is because Link will come through. And and I think in Breath of the Wild, that's most vividly shown is it, there was basically this battle a hundred years ago of good and evil and all of the good guys died and then Link was brutally injured and then he was basically put in a chamber to sleep and recover for a hundred years uh, and that's where it picks up and starts out and he's lost all of his memories and that's why you're discovering the whole world through his eyes but that kind of chosenness of Link's character I think drives the series really well and makes you I mean it's the hero's journey everything all video games are going to be the hero's journey but it's why I think it has such staying power is uh, w one of the reasons is the Triforce, which we we talk about regularly, but another is just how distinctly chosen Link was. Distinctly chosen and yeah, I mean, the, the hero's journey. It's a young man going through trials. It's in a way, at least to me, we, we don't really have trials and tribulations for young men to go through anymore in order to become a man. But we get to play out in a technological sense this sort of story, this sort of journey of fighting evil or going out on your own and trying to do it yourself and, you know, failing and succeeding and meeting a bunch of different characters along the way. It always has a, a setting, a different, you know, Hyrule is this kingdom. 
uh, in which Zelda is the princess. And then also, pretty much every Zelda game is this kind of standalone game. What's really <laughs> exciting about Tears of the Kingdom is it seems to be a very direct sequel to Breath of the Wild. Yeah. From all the trailers and gameplay that I've seen, it's following along that story that you just completed in Breath of the Wild and saying, not all the evil's gone. Yep. So it's it's exciting to me in that aspect that you get to continue on from this journey that you've already you've already won, right? But maybe there isn't a happy ending at the end. Well, and it's interesting going back through the series and for non-video game players, we're, we're, we're not going to be able to define all the terms that we use here in the Zelda series. But uh, there's a recurring theme as well, not in every game, but in a lot of them of Link being touched by the darkness. So in Majora's Mask, he um, has to put on those masks and become these other characters, including basically a, a dark clown type thing. And then also in uh, Twilight Princess, right, he is this animagus type that can turn into a wolf. And now it looks like in Tears of the Kingdom, it hasn't come out yet, we can't tell, but it's looking like there's a bit of that darkness touches him as well. And that will give him some special powers. But also, I'm curious to see if that has to be cleansed in some way before you can defeat Ganondorf or if that will be some sort of weakness uh, in the fights. Uh, it's worth noting as well, if there are fans, I hope you're listening. But this is the first game that we're getting in the mainline series that has Ganondorf, Zelda and Link all in, in there. It hasn't been since Twilight Princess that all three of those characters have been there. So that is such a cool thing. And and when you talk about iconic trios, they each represent one portion of the Triforce power, courage, and wisdom. And to have them all in the same game is just going to be so much fun, in my opinion. I, I completely agree. And I'm I'm very much looking forward to it. And I guess that's kind of April's news, eh? Yeah. I mean, there's always more stuff. We could talk about what beer we're drinking or not drinking, and we could talk about a lot of things going on in the world. I here here's a little tidbit. We don't have to get into it, but I heard recently that Warren Buffett sold a couple billion shares of the biggest Taiwanese uh, semiconductor company in the world. So we'll see. I'm not making any predictions. I don't want to know. Could be three, six, nine months out, but wouldn't surprise me if the what do they call him? The something of Omaha. Um, made a prediction that is uh, well-timed as well. So, uh, But that is all for us here at Brace. We appreciate you tuning in. Thanks. Bye-bye. We ask you to follow us on Instagram at Brace.22. Paul's Twitter is at Paul from Brace. And be sure to email us at Brace22 at ProtonMail.com. Please leave us a five-star review wherever you are listening and send to a friend if you found value in this discussion. Thanks. We appreciate it.